Good morning. Today's Bible reading comes from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Nice to see your hidden helper there, uh, Katie. Friends, uh, it's good to be uh, together as beginning of a new term of ministry. We are doing our final talk in, <coughs> um, in our Titus series, just three talks, and then we'll begin a new series next week. Let me pray that God would speak to us and encourage us with this truth. Lord God, we thank you that you save us through the Lord Jesus We ask that we would have a a greater understanding of your work and what it means to be born again and the transformation that flows out of being born again, that we would live as faithful and obedient children of the living God, bringing glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, a few years ago when I was studying to be a maths teacher, maybe more than a few years ago, back in the 1980s, uh, in fact, Jimmy Carter was the President of the United States. I mention that because one morning I woke up and I was thrilled when I read the newspaper, the front page of a Sydney newspaper, can't remember which one it was, which said, Jimmy Carter, born again. It wasn't something I was used to reading in a secular newspaper. And the expression born again became a prominent title to describe Christians around that period of time. It's not used that much these days. And soon after, I read an article in The Good Weekend, this is 1995, an article of teenagers covenanting to wait until marriage before having sex. Then it says, a concert or rally run by Christians was described this way. It is a supercharged sexual abstinence rally sponsored by an organization of born-again evangelicals. I think they were meant to put it down. They're trying to put down these born-again evangelicals. But see, in time, the expression born again became linked to televangelists, Pentecostals, dancing in church, and all types of things like that. And when I was sharing the gospel with a person, they they asked me once, they said, are you one of those born-againers? I have been asked that. Are you one of those born-againers? In other words, are you one of those lunatics, weirdos, eccentrics, fanatics, crazies, turbocharged super-Christian who's trying to change everyone? I wanted to say yes and no. 
I want you to say yes in that there is no, or no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, said Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 3. Yes, I am one of those. To be a Christian means to be born again. All true Christians are born again. There are no other types of Christians. That's not a new teaching from a weird cult or some extremist Christians. It's in the Bible, taught by Jesus. Someone once asked me, uh, why do you keep saying you must be born again? Why? Because you must, right? If you're not born again, you're under the judgment of God, you're not on the way to heaven, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not one of God's children. We've been singing about being God's children today. But I also wanted to say no. I didn't want to be identified with what they watched on television or maybe their extreme Pentecostal friends or in some other image they had in their minds of what a born-againer was. Well, friends, this morning we remember that born-again Christianity is biblical and we need to defend it strongly. New birth or birth from above, that's the other expression, born anew or from above, is absolutely necessary for salvation. You can't be a Christian without being born again. Just as you have a physical birthday, you have a spiritual birthday. You may not know when that spiritual birthday is. You've crossed the line in putting your faith in Jesus. Somewhere in there, you think, oh, around that time I gave my life to Jesus, or I gave my life to Jesus five times, when I was 15, when I was 25, when I was 39. There's a point of spiritual birth. For myself, born physically on the 18th of October, 1961, born spiritually in June 1976. Point where I repented, placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, became a Christian. Friends, if there's one thing we need in Australia, it is spiritual birth, isn't it? Rebirth, revival. We need men and women to recognise their lostness and then recognise the mercy of God who's willing to bring them new life. And the first point I want to make this morning with that background is rebirth, as we learn here, leads to humility, not arrogance. A true understanding of new spiritual birth must lead to humility. Because, you see, the label born again, or even commit a Christian or serious Christian, sometimes implies a degree of arrogance to people that we speak to. We're not, we don't mean to be arrogant, we don't mean to sort of lift ourselves up, but it sounds like that. You want to be very careful when you speak to, to people who aren't yet Christians. I found that over the years. I'm just it's describing my faith naturally and they, they feel like I'm, I feel that I'm on another level and they're below me. And what I say to them is, no, no, I am saved by God's grace and mercy. I don't deserve any of it. It's free to me and it's free to you through Christ. A true understanding of being born again leads to humility, not arrogance. We are born by grace. It is a gift of God. It's what God does for us through Christ and his spirit. And Paul says in uh, chapter 3, verse 3, in case you get overconfident in yourself, this, this is what we used to be like. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I'm sure all the believers were not like this to the same degree, Right? But he's saying, before we were saved, before we were born again, we lived like everyone else. Foolish, without spiritual understanding. Disobedient toward God. Deceived, 
led astray by all types of false teachings, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, lusts, evil desires. We were controlled by these things. Lives spent in malice, perversity, wickedness, evil disposition of minds, and envy. One of the most soul-destroying manifestations of malice is envy. To look at what someone else has and want that for yourself. Or to be what they are, not simply what they have. And it climaxes that when we live like that, he says, we are being hated and hating one another. Others hate you. They see you as detestable or offensive or disgusting or repulsive. And then you hate one another, he says. This is what we used to be like. The natural result of uh, hanging out with detestable people is that uh, you hate them and they hate you back. He says, that's what we once were. Now, when I read those words, I don't know about you, they seem pretty hard words, don't they? When I think of myself even as a 15-year-old non-Christian, I wasn't like that. I think he's describing sort of the variety of types of sinfulness of humanity there. And once you realise that God has saved you from that type of lifestyle and he's forgiven you, you can only be humble. You can only speak of grace. It's all God, it's not me. And in verse 47, he describes God's gracious activity. We were lost, we were hopeless, we were hating one another, but God intervened. But when the kindness, I love that, kindness and love of God, our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Three key things out of these texts, beautiful texts. Memorise them. Recount them. Live by them. God's love and kindness. When the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us and not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Friends, when he talks about the love of God appearing, it's clearly in the historical events of Jesus' coming. We saw in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Though there's no specific allusion to the cross, it must have been in Paul's mind because in uh, chapter 2, 14 and 1 Timothy 2, 6, he talks about Christ giving himself for our redemption. The grace of God appeared, and he'll tell us, and it's demonstrated through the cross and through the resurrection. He comes to save us. The gospel, the Easter events, destroy any potential for arrogance. We are saved on the basis of mercy, not our righteous works, he says. We cannot claim superiority over anyone else. We are not better than anyone else. We are simply saved sinners. I think of a lifesaver. And the beach, I was at the beach the other day and, uh, and they're sitting there waiting to save someone. And if a lifesaver comes out to save you because you're drowning, he doesn't do it because you're good. He does so because you're in trouble. And God likewise doesn't save us because we are good, but because we need saving and he's loving and he comes out and pursues us. We are in need and distress and the lifesaver Shows kindness to us. Although the, the photo of the lifesaver up there, he's just sitting back, relaxed. He's not saving anyone in the photo. Mercy is God's compassion to the needy and those in distress. 
Mercy is God's compassion to the person who is in debt without claim to favourable treatment. Mercy always implies that we are guilty and we need saving. Someone once asked me, said, Ange, we talk about mercy and grace, what's the difference? Well, I say mercy is not getting what I do deserve, that's judgment. Grace is getting what I don't deserve, that's life. Although the words are used similarly in places, but if you want to look at the distinction, mercy is not getting what you do deserve, judgment, but getting what you don't deserve, forgiveness and eternal life. For example, a thief breaks into my house and I find him stealing my DVD player. I don't know why he would want one these days, but he's trying to steal it. I still have one of those. Um, and, And so I see him and I don't call the police, I crash tackle him, disarm him, get him under my control. Doing pretty well been at the gym recently. I prepare to ring the police. He pleads with me. He says, no, please don't ring the police. I've been in trouble with them before. I agree not to call the police. My knee is still on his back, keeping him under control. I won't call the police. That's mercy. After chatting them for a couple of hours, I make him a cup of coffee, give him a biscuit. I say, mate, I just want to do something for you. Uh, as well, I want to give you the DVD, but more than that, I'm going to give you the television set as well. Have a good day. That's grace. Mercy and grace coming together. We see that also. Uh, uh, I'm such a creative type. I went uh, and saw Les Mis once. And uh, Les Miserables, Right? And uh, you'll know the story there, and uh, some of you will know. Some of you are not as creative as I am. (laughs) I've seen it once in my life. Tells the story of a man named Jean Valjean. Served 19 years of hard labor for the crime of stealing bread. When he was finally released, Valjean was a hardened, tough ex-convict. One day, though, his life was transformed by forgiveness, mercy and grace. A kind bishop invited him to stay in his home for the night. After the bishop and his sister were asleep, Valjean stole, he's just been shown grace, he stole the family's silver and ran off into the night. But the next morning, because the police officers were watching this guy, they captured him. And the three police officers brought him back to the bishop with all the stolen goods. The bishop said to Valjean, So here you are. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten that I gave you the candlesticks as well? They're silver like the rest and worth a good 200 francs. Do not forget to take them. Bishop showed him mercy and grace. Gave him something beyond what he had taken. After the policeman had gone, the bishop gave the candlesticks to Valjean, who was speechless and trembling. That's the right response to grace, isn't it? Speechless and trembling. Right response to the God of the universe who forgives you, speechless and trembling at his love and his mercy. And he said, do not forget, do not ever forget, that you have promised me to use the money to make yourself a new man. When someone who's understood God's mercy is able to say that when he sees others living in sin and disobedience, there, but by the grace of God, go I. 
Secondly, he talks about new birth in verses 5 and 6. How did he save us? By pouring out his spirit on us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. What does that mean? Pouring out the Holy Spirit by renewal is, is the whole idea of being born again, or the other theological word we use is being regenerated. It's a spiritual work of the Spirit. And here I think uh, he's picking up the language of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 25 and 27. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament looked forward to a day where God would bring a cleansing to people and a filling with the Holy Spirit that would make us capable of obeying his word and his truth. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What God had promised with the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament was coming true now in the New Testament. Bruce Milne, a, a commentator, writes, what is regeneration? He says, regeneration marks the moments and the means of our coming into union with Christ." It is an instantaneous change from spiritual death to spiritual life. A spiritual resurrection. We are brought to life by God. A once for all events at the beginning of the Christian life, parallel to physical birth. It differs from conversion with which it is closely associated in emphasizing God's action and giving new life. Conversion is the human act of turning from the sin to righteousness, which accompanies regeneration. Through regeneration, the believer receives a new spiritual nature, which will express itself in new concerns and interests. Also experience new powers to resist sin and obey and serve God. God works by his spirit to bring us to life. We repent and believe, and we are transformed by him. It leads to a new life. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, the Bible says this, Exalted to the right hand of God, this is Jesus. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has fallen on all the believers. They're praying, they're prophesying. They, the people think they're drunk, but they're not. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. So what you see is Jesus pouring out his Spirit. That's what Paul is writing to Titus. Then he says, as a result of that, we are heirs having the hope of eternal life. So having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Justified by his grace. There's a lot of good theological terms in here. We are declared righteous, not guilty. We are acquitted. We have a status of righteousness through faith in Christ. Christ's righteousness is credited to us and we are now seen as perfect. But we are also heirs. We haven't received it yet, although we are certain of it. God's promise is that we will inherit eternal life. The Holy Spirit, so at the age of 15 when I received the Holy Spirit, it was the down payment that I would have eternal life. Listen to this in Ephesians 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
God has written us into his will. What a generous God we serve. So what are some implications for life and witness in light of these fabulous gospel truths? Number one, be humble. Be humble. We started with that theme that God's salvation teaches us to be humble, not arrogant. Teaches us to be gracious towards others, to be merciful to others. To give that person the television set alongside the DVD player in whatever way God enables you to serve others. One of the tests, look, I'm going to give you this test for a moment. I fail this one regularly. You're driving down a road and, and a guy cuts in front of you without warning, almost causing an accident. What is your first response? Besides saving yourself, right? <laughs> Make sure you don't have an accident. You idiots, low life, where'd you get your license from? If I find you again, I'll run into you. Or there but by the grace of God go I. Calm, peaceful, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, humility and self-control. Right. What's your first reaction? And a much more serious one. A person commits war crimes in Ukraine. They're caught. Terrible crimes. Kill him? Get rid of him? Or there, but by, for the grace of God, go I. Keeping in mind, that this is what humbles me, so keep in mind that most people who end up in the armies and the wars that get called upon to serve their countries in Russia or Ukraine probably didn't want to be there. That was someone's 18-year-old son, 18-year-old daughter, 19 or 20, and in the midst of the pressure of a war situation, do the unthinkable. And you pray for their salvation? Would you want to see them in heaven with you? They've gone too far. Is the cross enough to bring salvation to all? Secondly, live a godly life. Verse 8, he says, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. In other words, you've had a wash, he says, don't go back into the mud. That's a picture. We've been cleansed by Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. Out of the mud now. Live this new life, clean life, godly life. Verses 1 and 2, he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, be good citizens, to be obedient to God and his truth, to be ready to do whatever is good. Be ready. I love that. Be ready. God's going to give you opportunities this week to do good. Be ready. God's going to give you opportunities uh, today to do good to someone. Be ready, he says. To slander no one. When you are tempted to say something unkind towards someone, to put someone's character down, to attack them, maybe for your own benefit or simply because you can't help yourself, don't. To be peaceable, to look to speak that word that brings reconciliation rather than division. And consider it. Think through why they may have reacted the way they have. What's going on in their life? Have they just lost someone? Have they lost a job? Is one of their children mucking up? What is it that's caused them to behave in this way? Can I be considerate of others? And always to be gentle 
toward everyone. Not pushy. Not get out of my way. I've got things to do. Gentle towards everyone. Thirdly, as you live for Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, as a born-againer, <laughs> how do you handle it? Well, firstly, the charge of hypocrisy. We will fail to live rightly and we'll be accused of being hypocrites. Well, let me say it's a false charge. Listen to me why I say that. Because we never claimed to be perfect. Right? We claim to be sinners who are forgiven by grace, who are now trying to live out this new life, but we know we will fail. And if you charge me of being a hypocrite, yep, correct. I do not always live up to what I profess. Now, there will come a day when I'm with Jesus in heaven, when I will. I remember growing up in the old days, we used to have this sticker on the back of our cars saying, Christians are perfect, just forgiven. Now, that could be an excuse for your sinfulness, right? We say, oh, I don't know about that. It's just excusing your sinfulness. But it's true. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven by Jesus. But secondly, not only the charge of hypocrisy, it's also the threat that comes with you living as a follower of Jesus. You become a threat to people just by being a Christian. There are people going, oh, you're a Christian. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to tell you this joke because I feel guilty in front of you. Right? My barber, I used to get a, a haircut back in the Maryville days and I'd sit on the table and he'd start cutting my hair and start telling me some dirty jokes. And, and I wouldn't laugh. I said, no, no, I don't. Thanks, Frank, but please, <laughs> don't tell me any of these jokes. After all, well, well, you don't like these jokes. No, it's not, like, it's not like I'm better than you, but you know, I'm now living this new life. And it, it was threatening for him because I didn't want to listen to that. Maybe you have that in the workplace and other places. And you see, we're a threat to people because if we say Jesus is the only way to heaven and they're not following Jesus, we're telling them that they're under the judgment of God and if they don't get right with God, they're going to end up in hell under the judgment of God. That's threatening, isn't it? Even if you don't say it, they know that. I remember once teaching a year seven class in Scripture. As we're looking at the gospel, we'll look at the bad news, we'll look at the good news, basic gospel explanation. We're sinners and God's a great saviour. They all said to me, I've never seen such a group so angry at what you're saying. What are you saying? We're bad. We're not bad. What do you mean we need Jesus because we're bad? And they couldn't own up to any sense of the fact that they had failed in, in any way they needed a saviour. They were threatened by the gospel message. Friends, our society today in Australia is very threatened by a gospel message that it seeks to shut us down as much as possible. So we just have to be clever in how we preach the truth of God's love. And most of it will be through relationships, loving people, serving people, uh, be, doing good to all people. And fourthly, pray wisely. Recognise the sovereignty of God in salvation. Pray that God would open up people's hearts to receive that gospel. Satan, the Bible says, blinds the minds of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So non-Christians cannot see the truth. To Pray that God will remove the blindfold that would see and understand the gospel and pray that we might share it clearly. Friends, over the next three weeks, we're going to have a three-week series called Mission Minded. We're looking at prayer next week, 
then telling, telling uh, your personal story the next week, your testimony, and then looking at telling the gospel story in a variety of settings the thir third week. We want to try and help people to be better at sharing God's truth with others. Let me conclude. We may not be born-againers, but we are born-again Christians. This is biblical Christianity. We must defend it, but more importantly, we must live it out. And it must motivate us to live holy and godly lives to the glory of God. Amen.